0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving ahead. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and
1: welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and during the show. We'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo-turned pundit Derek Dyson. And yes, for regular listeners, you'll be aware it is... The week to celebrate our three hundredth show, and box to box will be total football this week as we look back over the past six years. But of course, we're going to cover all of the important stories in football over the past week. And what better way to start than to reflect on the passing of a man thought by many as the game's greatest striker, the maestro of demand shaft Gerd Muller. With Chris Williams from the Gagan Press Bundesliga podcast, we'll then talk to Sydney FC skipper and president of the PFA Alex Wilkinson to get a sense of the landscape of football from a player's point of view, ahead of the A-League season, which is in October. But uh, those months, those weeks will just tick by and we'll wrap up the hour talking with Perth Glory signing, new Perth Glory signing, Brandon O'Neill, as he returns to the club where he debuted the midfielder, had stints at Sydney FC at Pohang Steelers and Buriam United but he's back at the glory. We'll wrap up the hour with that chat with Brandon and then in the second hour Willem will kick us off with second edition news. We'll get stuck into the Premier League after a brilliant opening round with our mate from the athletic Rob Tanner who better to celebrate 300 episodes with than Rob who's been with us all the way. Derek and Dina will dive right into all the other stories out of the Premier League and the Championship and other stories around Europe and we'll wrap it up with some of our favourite memories of the past 300 shows. Edge. Uh, It only seems like yesterday that we were sitting in the boardroom at Media House there in uh, the Docklands in Melbourne planning for the show, and um, here we are 300 episodes later.
2: Who would have thought, Rob? Happy birthday, Rob. Happy 300th (laughs) episode. And uh, and to our listeners right around Australia, and all over the world, but uh, predominantly right around Australia, um, we hope you've enjoyed the 300 shows as much as we have. Um, And another big week in football, Rob. I'm looking forward to... Uh, ...hearing all the news and uh, making some comments. So Willem, what do you got off the top?
3: Great to be with you for another episode, guys. Congratulations on the 300. The football world, though, is mourning the loss of a Titan... ...with Bayern Munich and West Germany legend Gerd Müller... ...passing away aged 75... Muller joined Bayern in 1964 and scored 566 goals in 607 games for the club. For West Germany, he scored 68 in 62. He won the Ballon d'Or in 1970 after scoring 10 uh, 10 goals at that year's World Cup. And in 74, netted the winner as West Germany won the tournament on home soil. Plenty of other records to go through. He still leads the Bundesliga for the most goals with 365. He scored 40 in the 1973-74 Bundesliga season, a record which stood for 49 years years, and he scored twice in the final of the 1972 uh, Euros. 85 goals he scored in that calendar year. Michael, a remarkable player. The uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Unfortunately, another of that era who suffered Alzheimer's uh, in his later years.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've had a few passings this uh, past 12 months, haven't we, Willem? Um, none bigger than Diego Maradona, but this guy, Gert Müller, Müller, is absolutely a titan of German football and arguably probably the most important player in the history of uh, der Mannschaft uh, He was um, only a diminutive uh, sort of character, 176 centimetres tall, not a, a large guy. He was a bit tubby too, which I quite like. Uh, uh, good to see a tubby bloke uh, doing so well. But um, Franz Beckenbauer, I, I think um, he sums it up, doesn't he, when he says He was the most important player in the history of Bayern. He scored all the goals for us, and goals are the most important thing in soccer. So we will pay tribute to Gert Müller. I can't wait to talk to Chris Williams in the next uh, episode as we sort of delve into uh, Gert Müller, his legacy in German football, and uh, he sadly passed away at the age of 75 years.
1: And I'm and Edge, if there's one stat of all the stats we've heard this week about Gerd Muller that really uh, stands out for me, it's the uh, the comparison between him and the current uh, record goal-scoring uh, striker for shaft Miroslav Klose. So it took Klose 137 games to score his 71 goals. It took... Muller just 68 games to set the record at 62, so I think that's a fair indication of uh, of the
3: potency of the of the player that he was. The Socceroos look likely to play their home World Cup qualifier against China on September the second in Doha, while their following clash will be played behind closed doors in Vietnam. The Vietnam Football Association had hoped of holding 30% capacity, but average daily infection numbers of over 8,000 at the moment, unfortunately, have rendered this impossible. Meanwhile, James Johnson has criticised the federal government for turning down what he called the most complex bio-bubble football has seen regarding plans for the China game. Rob, a serious issue that we've seen coming for some time. We're now living it. Uh, We've still got Oman and Saudi Arabia scheduled to visit Australia before the year's out. It's got to be highly doubtful that those uh, will be getting off the ground. And it's not an apples and oranges comparison we know these sort of relationships with the government are quite complex but you can be certain they'll manage to get the English cricket side here uh, in November for their tour and they'll be going right across the country so the lack of flexibility for just a a fly-in fly-out one match effort uh, is pretty disappointing in my opinion
1: well, look, it is particularly off the back of the Olympics, but we know it's all about the optics, it's the politics of the situation. Uh, the Tokyo Olympics uh, was pulled off, as it seems so far, without uh, a major COVID outbreak, albeit the fact that uh, the Tokyo and Japan in general continue to be in the middle of uh, of, of record numbers, but the uh, the... The uh, competitors themselves didn't bring uh, COVID and they didn't leave with it. So the, uh, the 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 Football Australia plan was as comprehensive as the one that had been put in place for Tokyo, even more so in many instances. They were planning about put, putting up nets at Bankwest Stadium and uh, uh, and preventing any potential for the ball to go into the st- the, the ground. So yeah, if if uh, you, you're prepared to do that to get the game off the ground, then ultimately it's it's all about the uh, the
3: politicians and the fact that they. Don't want to look bad to their constituents. The return of the FFA Cup this season is proving increasingly difficult, with all matches postponed until at least the end of August. Football New South Wales' decision to scrap all 2021 matches has left their five qualified sides without avenue for match fitness or conditioning, although Football Australia has yet to give up on the comp altogether. Meanwhile, the Australian Professional Leagues are working through their plans for the upcoming A-League and W-League seasons. You'd assume COVID-19 will be making that particularly difficult. We reached out to the APL this week for an update. They said they're still finalising their plans and weren't willing to put anyone forward as yet. Uh, I also find that just a little bit... Maybe a little bit confusing. I mean, the situation is that fluid and difficult, uh, Rob, that no one expects them to have their plans locked in at the moment. I think you just need to put someone forward and, and, uh, and have them you know, basically keep us in the loop that they're working on it. Don't, don't sort of leave us in the dark, as Football Australia seem to be doing with the FFA Cup as well. I mean, the only way you can get updates on the, the various postponements is to go onto the FFA Cup website, which is, um, which is a relatively small website, and they're only drip-feeding that. So, again, don't leave us in the dark, both Football Australia and the APL.
1: Yeah, look, it's it, it's one of those situations where part of me wants to agree with every word you've said, that the other part... Um is is trying to be logical about it and and understand that in all of the uncertainty with what's going on across the country, uh, that it's impossible. I I think there's just a lot of grey in this one, mate. So you know I think over the last 300 episodes, uh, you know I and Edge and you, everyone that's been on this show has never pulled a punch. But in this case, I think you've got to be um, be reasonable and fair. And so I I do have a bit of empathy for for the situation. And uh, you know I think we just have to cross our fingers that uh, that you know if the numbers improve and the vaccination rates improve that, uh, you know, as we're expecting them to over the next couple of months,
3: that um, the competition will just have to be delayed. Staying with the APL, they've hired Richard Bayliss as their first head of content. Bayliss joins from Optus Sport, where he's spent the past five years. The APL's media release reads his primary task will be to deliver multi-platform stories and news about football from Australia and around the world. Optus, uh, Rob, I think we all agree have done an exceptional job uh, in moving football coverage into the digital age. Richard's been at the head of that. He's a regular guest on the program and a friend of ours, and uh, we'll have him when he begins uh, the role in mid-September join us on the show to chat about it Uh, that's a huge acquisition
1: yeah, massive. Uh, Richard's been a great friend of this show and he's been a wonderful host of Optus and uh, an influential figure throughout. Uh, he, uh, he's he been there from the beginning and uh, you know we've seen him from his start as a, as a reporter at Channel 10 and then Foxtel. So uh, hats off to Richard. I think he'll be a great acquisition uh, and uh, insofar as content's concerned, that's one thing uh, that uh, we really need in the football landscape. We need more content, not less of it. We need more nuanced content. I think Edge show, uh, you'd agree. We need podcasts, we need radio shows, we need football specialty shows on Optus and uh, Foxtel and mainstream free-to-air channels.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a very, very good appointment. Richard's got a lot of experience in uh, content creation, digital networks, uh, the ability to uh, develop reach and exposure for the APL. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be difficult. Remember now that the APL is on their own. They don't have the... Socceroos and Matildas to leverage from which are really driving very big peak audiences so uh, we know that there's a long way back for the APL to come with their uh, A-League coverage so I think this is a very, very good appointment and um, I'm I'm excited to see what, um, you know, when Richard gets his feet under the table what sort of strategy he puts together and and can the APL grow their footprint and, uh, and eyeballs to generate more revenue for our sport which is, as we know, desperately needed.
1: Excellent. All right, Willem, well, well, well done. Great start to the show. We're going to start our tribute shortly to Gerd Muller. We're going to talk to Chris Williams from the Gagan Press Bundesliga podcast. It's a great podcast. Uh, if you like to branch out from your traditional football viewing and listening habits, uh, uh, it really gets stuck into it. And they've done some wonderful work on uh, the, the passing of, uh, of the great striker, and, uh, and Chris Williams has been front and centre of it. So we uh, are looking forward to having a chat to him about Gerd Muller after the break on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal
1: of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport, and we like to think that we cover most of the stories uh, when it comes to international football around the big players, the big-name players. Uh, uh, but there was none greater and none bigger than the passing this week of Gerd Müller at the age of just 75. He was an amazing player. He uh, scores 566 goals in 600 games with Bayern. He scored 68 times in 62 internationals with uh, Demandschaft. He won golden shoes, golden boots, Ballon d'Ors and to talk about uh, with us is uh, an expert on the Bundesliga, the host of the Gagan Press uh, football podcast and uh, his name is Chris Williams. How are you Chris?
4: I'm very well thanks guys. How are you?
1: Yeah, not at all. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I know there's another breaking story, which we'll talk to you at the back end of this discussion around German football, Re uh, another great striker. But uh, for the moment, it's, it's Gerd Muller. Uh, so, insofar as his stature in the game, uh, you know, people talk about Messi and Ronaldo and the big names of the modern era, and uh, and you know, we can cast back to to any number of great name players, uh, uh, whether it's uh, it's Croy or Pushkus uh, over the past three four decades. But uh, Muller sits comfortably alongside of those.
4: You know, three hundred and sixty five goals in four hundred and twenty seven Bundesliga games. That's just league games, by the way. No other competitions. Um, sixty six goals, seventy four. European matches. He held a um, a record for most goals scored in a season that stood for 40 years and it was only broken by Lionel Messi. So that should give an indication for, for people who maybe haven't heard of him or have only slightly heard of him. is His stature within the game. Um, in Germany he's regarded as the greatest striker ever. Full stop period. Um, no other to be discussed. He's a World Cup winner, Ballon d'Or winner. Um, scored a World Cup winning goal. Um, you know, he's just Um, He's just a a legend, really. He's been ill for some time, um, so his passing um, was expected, but that still doesn't make it any easier for everybody in Germany and especially everybody at Bayern at the moment.
2: Chris, just for our Australian viewing, uh, listening audience, um, he was only a small man, 173 centimetres, I think um, that was his height. Um, He had a very low centre of gravity, but he had a trademark um, scoring technique. He scored a lot of goals from um, having his back to the goal where he would swivel and shoot so fast that uh, you know that became a, a bit of a trademark. But what can you tell um, the Australian uh, listeners, especially the contemporary ones, the younger ones that listen to our show, just, um, just how fantastic he was in the box. He was deadly, wasn't he?
4: Oh yeah, he was. He, he said that, um, I listened to an interview of him um, a few years ago now, he said that in order to be an effective striker, you had to be blind in the box. So he, he, you had to know where the goal was. It Doesn't matter if you couldn't see. So yeah, you're quite right. His goal, um, his goal rates were scored with his back to the box. He just knew automatically, knew where the goalkeeper is. Uh, sorry, knew where the goal is and where the goalkeeper was because he could he could often beat them. Um, he said himself that he he was, I think we call it a fox in the box these days. He didn't score many goals from outside of the area. Um, his back was to goal a lot of them. You're quite right he just knew where the goal was and that's always a a good adage of a center forward I, you know, pundits commentators podcasters journalists always say he just seems to know where the goal is and and that was it and he would score with anything chest head knee shin boot studs he would score with every part of the body and and every part of his um, every part of his equipment that he had on he just knew where the goal was and he could get that goal away you look at Goal scorers these days, so you look at Harry Kane, Lewandowski himself, uh, Erling Haaland, they almost have the perfect finish every time. Uh, Good Muller could score uh, from anywhere in the box, but he could also score a scruffy goal as well. And I think that's what's needed sometimes. You need someone to be able to just get in and around that box, in and around two, three yards, and just get something on the ball to poke it over. And he will get that. So not only could he score great goals from 12 Fifteen yards away inside the box, he could also get a really scruffy one-yard goal as well.
2: And I'm sure he won't mind me saying this if he's listening, if he's up there in heaven listening to our little chat about how good he was here and uh, to our Australian audience. But he was a bit, a little bit tubby too. He he he, uh, he didn't mind. Um, He didn't mind uh, just sort of turning up to play. Um, um, Some of the reports I've read that he he wasn't the greatest of trainers, but what he did do was just practice and practice and practice the shooting in the box. Um, So it was good to see a tubby little bloke uh, uh, be one of the best players in the world. Yeah, it is. I mean, mean, football was a, a little bit different. Um, way back then, obviously,
4: the, the diet wasn't the same and you know players enjoyed um, a little bit more of a free lifestyle outside of the game. They weren't under strict nutritional um, requirements. So, yeah, I mean, he did. He, he does look quite unorthodox, really, if you see a picture of him. He doesn't look, I think you say he doesn't look like an athlete, might be a little bit harsh. He just looks like a normal everyday person, but could obviously just score a goal from anywhere. So a victory for the normal man, I think we can call that.
1: This is Box to Box. Reflecting on the career of the great Gerd Mullard passed away this week. Deb bomber was his nickname uh, with the host of the Gagan Press football podcast, Chris Williams. And Chris, uh, Edge mentioned that, uh, you know, he wasn't your sort of archetypal uh, rippling six-pack kind of guy. But uh, along with the incredible career he had, um, he did have his troubles, particularly after he... uh, he retired. Um, he, he did fall into alcoholism. Um, fortunately, managed to recover um, and and develop a post football career. But um, for a man who had such success, um, it was uh, it was uh, uh, a sad decline there for a while.
4: Back in the in the seventies or sixties and seventies, we had footballers who would just stop playing a, a lot earlier normally in their careers, and they didn't really have that much to fall back on. So. And he went over to the United States and and played out in the North American Soccer League towards the end. But that period of the game is is littered with um, with, with athletes who football almost turned their back on them, and, and they had to deal with the the depression of of not playing football anymore themselves. And he he did sort himself out. He got into a, a coaching role with Bayern too. So. Bayern's reserve side if you want to call it that so um, yeah he did turn himself around but like a lot of players in that time you know it's not just George Best uh, there's a lot of players who went down the the same sort of path really and you even have to look some of the greats like Diego Maradona is trying to replicate that high that they get on the football pitch Mm -hmm. once they come off it um, it tends to not be able to and unfortunately sometimes they they look for other things but Yeah, he'll be remembered for everything he did on the pitch um, and and the way he did it. He was a a very good player, a very humble player, um, had a little bit of a fight in him, but was always quite fair.
2: Well, Müller's record of 14 World Cup goals scored in 13 games over two tournaments held up until 2006 when Brazil's Ronaldo um, scored his 15th goal in his 19th World Cup game. So that just gives you an indication of the... The nature of his scoring, but um, the last question before Rob asks about Robert Lewandowski and uh, some news that's sort of uh, coming out of Germany on that. Just on Gert Muller, what has been um, the reaction in Germany? What is has it been? Um, you know, front and back pages of the newspapers, the talk shows, the television stations. Has it been war to war coverage of it? Of, of it, is it? Um, is he held in a regard similar to the Brazilians would hold Pele and the? Argentinians would hold uh, Maradona, is it that type of uh, reverence that he has?
4: Yeah, especially in the sports media itself it, it's translated into everyday media because obviously he's such a well-known figure for that generation of football fans but yeah, sports media most definitely um, you look at the the traditional shows in, in Germany like Doppelpass etc and it's been the it's been coverage on Gerd Muller, reflections on his life, on his career, um, how good he was. Obviously, we've got Lewandowski, who's broken a couple of his records, but will we ever see a goal scorer like that again? It's, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. He's once in a, in a generational talent um, and his time at Bayern will, will live forever, not just um, in the records and the goals he got, but also just the person he was. And, of course, for Germany um, as well, You know, the records that he had, um, Miroslav Klose, it took to 2014 to to get past his um, his record there. As I said, he won the Ballon d'Or. I think he scored, I think it was about eight hat-tricks he scored for Germany. So it's exceptional level of performance. And and yeah, that's why the coverage in Germany has been um, really high. And obviously, because he's associated with Bayern, who are the biggest club, the recordmeister, um, yeah, there's been a lot of coverage and, and a lot of nice reflection um, as i say it was it was ill so it it was expected, but that still doesn't make it less shock shocking um but yeah the 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 tributes have been flowing in
1: no exactly Yeah. Uh, great memories of a great football player And uh, what a wonderful segue to Lewandowski Who we mentioned uh, The story appears to be breaking Not guaranteed as we go to where That uh, he uh, wants to uh, uh, to get out of his contract at Bayern Now Bayern are coming off uh, nine consecutive wins It's the post-Hansi Flick era um, Julian Nagelsmann is, uh, is in charge uh, They've won the Super Cup But uh, they lost the uh, 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 friend Lees Before uh, a draw in the first round round of uh, the Bundesliga. Uh, what's your take on this? Do you expect it to happen? Is it, is it a negotiation ploy from the broadcaster or the club? Uh, are we going to see him in a sky blue shirt at Manchester City?
4: It, it's it's just always a strange one. So he's under contract until 2023. He's it's 32. He's 33 in two days. Um, he's probably looking at making a step to a new club. I don't think he's got anything to prove. Uh, at Bayern, obviously, I think we can all agree, had... France football not cancel the Ballon d'Or. He would have won the Ballon d'Or last season. He's he won the FIFA best player. Um, obviously, he got a Champions League trophies. He's got nine um, titles with Bayern. He's got four Pokals. Tr- terrific player. What more can he win with Bayern? He, he's probably realising he's got one last contract in him, be that one year or be that two year. Um probably a two-year contract left in him, maybe, maybe a three at the most. But he wanted to try... Uh, Real Madrid at one point, heavily linked, uh, pushed for a move. Bayern said no. Um, and they, we have to remember he scored 297 goals in 331 appearances for Bayern. So um, you don't replace that easily. Um, in fact, it's probably almost impossible to replace. So while he is 33 almost, um, and they've stuck a price tag of 120 million on him, around right about 100 million pounds, that is a lot of money, but that's for. Them to replace him. He's certainly not worth that to a buying club, but but he's worth that as in how much he would cost to replace. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any player currently that could replace him. Maybe Erling Haaland, maybe Mbappe. Um But yeah, for Bayern, I'm, I'm. Had it been two three years ago, I would have said maybe he's angling for a better contract. Now, I, I genuinely think he he wants to try somewhere new. Um Whether his agent will get that is is a different is a different question. Do Bayern let him go or you know, do they do they make him stay and make him retire there? Um, he's obviously come from Borussia Dortmund, so he did travel into Bayern. He's not, he's not come from Bayern as, as a youth player. If you look at Good Müller, who came from the um, amateur stages or the the lower leagues into Bayern, he came from one of their title rivals after winning the title. So, will they let him move on? It, it's a, it, it's a bit of a strange question. I think if the price is right and they get an offer. Perhaps they do because he's he's, proved, he's proven himself to the buying board time and time again but there's always that how do we replace him?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story uh, and uh, when we saw, saw Lionel Messi finally leave uh, we thought well anything can happen so it wouldn't be surprising I was listening to Robert Klein the CEO of the Bundesliga on your podcast the Gagan Press podcast just this last episode and uh, he talks up uh, an amazing game for the competition and the uh, the, the roundedness of the, the competition the rising stars the other players so you lose one star other stars rise so we'll watch this space Chris, we'll let you get back to that breaking story uh, thank you for joining us to reflect on Gerd Muller and talk about Bit about Lewandowski as well. Uh, we really uh, do recommend your podcast, the Gagan Press podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, Gagan Press is the, is, uh, the, uh, the style that the, the great Jurgen Klopp has, uh, has made famous, uh, the pressing style, uh, which uh, we uh, have all come to be familiar with over recent years. Chris, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Jens thanks very much. Yep, you stay well, Chris Williams. Get onto that podcast. You'll absolutely love it if you're a genuine football fan. And we suspect that if you're listening to this show, well, you probably are. All right, stick around after the break. Sydney FC captain and head of the, cap, the president of the PFA, Alex Wilkinson. It's very uncertain times in football in this country. We're a couple of months away from the A-League kicking off. we we'll would be interested to talk to Chris on his thoughts from the players' point of view on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this
1: could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It is a busy show. Uh, This half hour, we're going to focus on the domestic league. We're going to talk to uh, Brandon O'Neill at the back half of the hour. But before we do, we have got... uh, The man who's in charge at Sydney FC, but not only is he in charge at Sydney FC, is the captain of uh, that club, but he's the president of the Professional Footballers Association. Alex Wilkinson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been uncertain times. Uh, The entire playing fraternity uh, um, is uh, concerned about what what is happening, of course, as every professional sports person is. We see uh, the other competitions around the country and other um, sports um, getting their... Competitions up and off the ground. We know that um, the A League played in a hub for much of last season. So, uh, what can you tell us about what you're hearing from the uh, uh, head office at the moment, and how players training and and things all coming together?
5: Yeah, look, I mean, I think uh, in terms of uh, what we're hearing for the start of the season, it's it's at the moment. I think it's it's just going to go ahead as planned, or they're they're planning to start. I think it's around this the end of October or the start of November um, for the for the kick off of of this new season. But um, you know, I'm pretty sure that you know Danny Townsend and the rest of the, the APL have got uh, a few different plans in place because obviously the situation's changing. You know daily and a daily basis in in pretty much every state around Australia at the moment, so obviously I, I don't envy uh, their job at the moment in terms of logistically trying to plan a season but um I guess look from a from a player's point of view, I'm pretty sure most of the teams are back training now and um, yeah we're just grateful as a as a as a I guess as a football playing group that that we can train together at the moment and um, we can still continue i guess uh you know, working and continuing to to earn a living because a lot of people, I guess, around Australia at the moment are facing that sort of uncertainty. And you know, we saw in the last couple of seasons that um, players have sacrificed a lot to um, continue playing and to continue uh, producing a product that you know everyone can watch and and people can tune into. And um, you know, hopefully, this season can um, get up and running without too many too many glitches but like I said uh, I think we're going to have to be pretty flexible in how things go because things are changing so quickly.
2: Just the genesis behind getting getting behind the vaccination message and did that come from the club or was that a player driven thing and and just uh, give us your thoughts on how important it is for, for people to go and get the jab.
5: Yeah look that was a that was a initiative that was driven by the club but you know I think us as players um, realised the importance of it and like I said before where we, we've been lucky enough to be able to Um, continue working and and continue to be able to train together but a lot of people, um, you know, are are severely affected by this pandemic and have lost jobs or are unable to work and and lost income and, you know, it's it's a terrible time for for a lot of people around Australia. So I guess the quicker we can um, you know, get out of this and the quicker we can remedy it with uh, with vaccinations and, and everything else we're doing in terms of lockdowns and um, certain restrictions, you know, that's going to be the better for, for everyone or, uh, across Australia, not just, you know, us as footballers. So, you know, I know um, I've just had my first uh, vaccination last week, so I'm waiting a couple of weeks till I get my second and quite a few of the boys are on that same path at the moment. So the
2: more that we can get done, the better. James Jonnocky has uh, joined your club this year, so um, if we can read anything in into that... Uh... Edition. Um, you might uh, have a new partner in the centre of defence. Have you played with James previously anywhere in any sort of uh, competition, or um, was he settling into training?
5: Yeah, he's settling really in, settling in really well. Um, I haven't played with Donks before, but obviously being in the A League for a while now, and um, we played against each other plenty of times, so we, we got to know each other just through uh, through regularly running into each other every. You know, three times a year or whenever how many times we play each other and he's settled in really well along with uh, the rest of the other boys who've come in we haven't had um, wholesale changes this year Um, you know we haven't sort of that's been our I guess philosophy and and the way we've done things at Sydney FC is um, due to the success we've had over the recent seasons we haven't um, made a lot of changes every year but we've just tinkered with things and inevitably there's always going to be a few changes every year and um, you know we 've had three or four again this year, and, and donks has um, come up from from having a spell over in india which he which he said he enjoyed, but hes he 's happy to be back in australia now and um, it 's great to have him on board he 's a quality player and he 's going to add you know a lot of uh, a lot of depth to our lineup. that 's for sure
2: yeah he definitely will and um, it's just it's, it has been a little bit interesting watching the movement in players and um, uh, it 's been it 's that time of the uh, the calendar, isn't it, where uh, clubs are announcing new signings and, uh, and people that are transferring and Australians coming back from overseas to play. And um, Sydney, you just guys seem to have a very core nucleus of the team that doesn't change. Um, how important is stability to success? Does, does stability always guarantee success or can you have success without stability? I mean, how important is it for Sydney, that core group of players going around year after year? Yeah, I think that's something
5: that, that we as a club have, have done really well over the last five or six years is that we've kept that uh, that core group of players together. And like I said, there, there is always changes come the start of a new season and people leaving and, and whatnot. But the people we've brought in every year have, have added quality and, and, and added to the, to the squad in different ways and continue to strengthen us. And, you know, that's just the way we've done things. But obviously you can't have you know, stability if the results aren't there. You know, there's no point in keeping, you know, a team together if you're not being successful. So I think it's sort of works works both ways there. But, you know, we've been um, lucky enough, I guess, to have quite a lot of success over the, the last five or six seasons. So I guess that's sort of um, paved the way to, to keep that um, continuance in the squad and to keep that core group together because um, of the success we've had on the pitch and, you know, hopefully it can continue this year.
1: Stability um, comes expectation, but uh, this season will be one of those rare seasons uh, over recent times where you don't go into the uh, opening um, matches as favourites. After uh, after City's uh, uh, victory last year, admittedly you'll be one of the uh, what well, the top faves. But uh, you know, speaking of victory, we'll be expecting them to bounce back. Lots of other clubs uh, <laughs> who performed uh, above expectations last year. Uh, is it nice sometimes to go in as, uh, well, you're not an underdog. Sydney, if so, would never be described as that, but uh, but without the weight of uh, favouritism on your shoulders?
5: We don't really buy into it too much, to be fair, the external sort of stuff. It's more, you know, we as a group, because of the success we've had um, in the last sort of, you know, medium to short term, I guess we sort of put the, the pressure on ourselves to, to perform. We, we, you know, we expect to, to be at the top of the top of the table come come season's end and you know if they're not there we're, we're pretty disappointed so you know we don't really um, feel the external pressure it's more the the pressure that the players and the, and the coaching staff and I guess being at a club like Sydney FC put put on ourselves so mm. um, you know we'll be looking to go to go better than last year we, we can't we've you know pulled up a little bit short in, in both the Premiership and the grand final last year so a little bit disappointing not to, to come home with a trophy and um, you know, we'll, we'll need to improve because a lot of a lot of clubs across the league have strengthened and. Um and have improved their squad, so we'll need to do the same to, to make sure we're right up there again.
1: Well, the season doesn't kick off till late October, so hopefully, as you said at the top of this uh, chat, uh, there will be some continuity in so far as the pre-season is concerned, and uh, we'll be able to get stuck into the season uh, with crowds in the stadiums and, uh, and a lot of hope for uh, an exciting season ahead. Alex, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Uh, you stay well, and um, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to the footy starting uh, in, uh, in a, well, about a month, Uh, and a half from now.
5: Yeah, let's hope so, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Excellent. Alex Wilkinson, captain of Sydney FC, uh, one of uh, the uh, the statesmen of football in this country. Now, uh, before we go to the break... we're in our 300th episode and I can guarantee you one thing is for sure, that there is no way we would have even had one episode if it hadn't have been for our friends at Chemist Warehouse, the great Mario Tuscany, Ritsune Farakawa, they have supported us since day one and uh, they will uh, be listening out there and, and uh, proud I'm sure of, uh, of what uh, they were responsible for creating, but if you want to support them, the only way to do that is to get into their stores because there is a certain Father's Day coming up in a couple of weeks time now, if you in one of the lockdown states as many of us are some of you out there won't be so you can get there anyway but uh, right now you can get free shipping on all fragrance orders delivered direct to your dad there's the david beckham refined woods eau de parfum just 39.99 that's nearly 20 bucks off 19 dollars and one cent off the recommended retail price Uh, the calvin klein uh, defy eau de toilette 50 mils calvin klein CK One Two Hundred Mils for Thirty Two Ninety Nine. The deals are all over the place. So if you want to look after your dad, uh, you can get some of those David Beckham-inspired fragrances. You can get Calvin Klein. You can get just about any brand it is that you want and send it straight to your dad's door. Or if you're not in lockdown, you can deliver it to him yourself. It's Father's Day in a couple of weeks' time, so don't delay. Get into Chemist Warehouse, as I'm sure your daughters will, Michael, and I hope that my fellas will themselves. Okay, that is. Uh A wrap on that. We're going to continue to talk A League. Brendan O'Neill. He's had a uh, tour through uh, the uh, Southeast Asian climbs. He's had an incredible story with his family, losing his dad, his wife pregnant. Uh, We're going to hear it all from Brendan after the break. Stick around; it's guaranteed to be uh, one that'll tug the heartstrings. Next on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the
1: most crucial. Yes, yes this is Box the Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk sport it's our 300th episode and uh it's uh it's a local and it's an international episode but we're going to stick with the local theme after talking to alex wilkinson from sydney fc before the break uh, we now have uh, one of our favorite uh, veterans of uh, australian football former soccer who he's played uh, in various countries around the world but he's back in his hometown now brandon o'neill how are you mate
6: hello lads very well very well how are you
1: yeah, we're really good, Brandon, and uh, uh, it's great to have you back home. You've uh, you've been uh, in um, in Thailand and uh, um, been you know it's been a, a uh, an interrupted season as well in South Korea as well, uh, but um, but you're back home and, and by all accounts, reading uh, your comments that uh, that you and your family are delighted to be back in Perth.
7: We are, we are indeed. It's been um, yeah, leaving leaving Sydney a couple of years ago, and I, I never thought. Um, yeah, I never thought my journey would um, would take me on, I guess a, li- a life-changing um, experience for myself and my family. Um, something we had to to prepare for, and um, yeah, for for it to kind of be the way it has done. Um, I'm I'm very happy and I'm very um, very excited to to finally be home.
1: So, Brandon, it's just been a such a difficult time, a roller coaster of emotions, with the, you know, the tragic loss of your dad, and and then the the beautiful news of the impending arrival of uh, of a little baby. Um, yeah, just tell us, um, tell us, from your own words, how uh, how that experience has been for you.
7: Yeah, it's been um, it's been one hell of a journey. I've um, I've learned. Um, a lot about myself, and a lot of a lot of things were put into perspective um, quite quickly. Um, and suddenly, as as life throws a few curve balls at you, and leaving Sydney, um, I obviously knew uh, of of my dad's condition. Um, he had uh, lung cancer, and it was stage three at the time, and he he was. Um, he was my, my biggest fan, my, my inspiration, and um, he was probably the first one kicking me on the flight <laughs> to, to get to South Korea because he knows how hard um, I have worked and how hard I'll continue continue to work until i can't play the game anymore um in order to just get the best out of myself and so we we, we jumped on a flight to, to korea and um within within the space of maybe eight months he was um he was hospital bound then um and we received a call in in um, korea just kind of giving us the news that look it it changed um to is diagnosed as being terminal. Um my mum actually got a do not resuscitate um that she had to sign. We were in Korea and me and me and my wife Nicole we just kinda looked at each other and said, Look, we, we need to get back and we need to see him and so we jumped back on a we back on a flight. Um, we did our two weeks quarantine. Um he was in hospital at the time um, and he was he was probably given uh, a few months um which was all really all the time I needed to to spend some quality, quality time in him. Um, he, he got a little bit better in hospital as we kind of neared the end to quarantine. I got out and I was able to spend two, like, Two of the best, probably, months of my life with him. Um, every single day, waking up, having a coffee, um, just doing fathering some things and having live chats about um, things we never really touched on. Um, in in the whole of that emotional journey, uh, myself and Nicole received a life-changing uh, moved to Thailand, and that was probably one of the easiest, hardest decisions I've ever had to make to, to settle myself and my family's future, but to... Uh, also leave a, my best mate a, a terminally ill person that was it was one of the hardest things possibly I've ever had to do and um, again my dad being my dad and um, again he was the first one to kick me on that plane and um, the, the life chats we had before that deal came it, it kind of made things a little bit easier in his eyes because someone I guess from a small a small little part of Perth um, in a big family and we we don't want for much we don't we we just we pride ourselves on love um we have a big family and to get this opportunity to go over there and set my family's life up um yeah it shouldn't happen it shouldn't happen to someone like me and um it shouldn't happen to someone like our family so we uh we were we were very fortunate again and, and it puts things into perspective we went over there and um again another amazing journey um but ultimately um it came to the end of the season, we were away um, in off season and uh, my wife got uh, brand new, uh, the, probably the best news uh, I guess her husband can get, that we were expecting our first child and um, within a matter of a day being told that she got violently ill and you forget that Thailand unfortunately has, probably hasn't got the, the best medical systems that um Australia has, so we, we went to hospital and and that was a massive eye opener for myself, and and then unfortunately the next the next day after that we've we've got Nicole home and I got the call from my mum saying that, um, your dad's only be given a few days, so um, with everything that going up was going on, um, someone somewhere was was saying to, Brandon, it's 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 time to get home. You you've been away and you've experienced what you need to experience and you've done what you needed to do.
2: Brandon, you you played for the big daddy of Thailand football, Buriam United. Um, I've spent some time in Thailand, so I just know how much of a super club they are. Can you tell us about what it was like living in Buriram and uh, being a player uh, on the most supported club in Thailand and playing in front of 45,000 people um, at their stadium?
7: Yeah, look, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it was it, to put it into context. We go out and we pop to Woolies and Coles and we go to the beach and we have our coffees and we just wear normal clothes. We 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 go out in um, whatever we we want. And over in in Brewer-ham, it's just an out and out football town. There's not a person that doesn't go out um, without a Buryam uh, jersey on um, without. you you see young lads walking um in the shops with the full kit on sometimes um it is just absolutely chock-a-blocked with Buriram jerseys and and um, they live for football. So as, as you could imagine, I'm a Ranga with freckles and Irish lad and my wife's got blonde hair and blue eyes and we're sat in a coffee set, a coffee shop. We stick out like a sore thumb. So, um, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity for myself and Nicole to kind of give back to, um, how that picture's taken and, and speak to the younger lads and the, the older people of Buriram and really kind of embrace ourselves in the culture of Thai, um, I guess Thai lifestyle and Thai football. Um, but when when COVID had settled down over there, um, the first our first home game was the following week that uh, restrictions were lifted, and and they got a packed a packed out stadium of forty five thousand um, to our last four games, and the the closest thing I've ever felt to European football, the the atmosphere, the noise um, was absolutely incredible, um, and. It, it was, again, it, it gave me memories of that, again, someone from a small little town in Perth, uh, a little suburb in Perth, should never have gotten. I'm, ex- I'm extremely grateful I got to experience
1: it. Hey, Brandon, look, we'd love to talk to you uh, more about your story, your experiences, but you're back in Perth and I suspect that uh, you know in a month and a half, maybe two months when the A-League starts, um, we'll be talking to you again um, as the excitement builds to what is a new era in, in the A-League in this country good luck to all of your family um, We uh, we're, our hearts are with you mate and uh, we're so pleased to hear a smile on your face after everything you've been through and uh, and good luck with the arrival of the little one uh, in, um, in not, the not too far distant future.
7: No thank you very much I really appreciate the, the support lads and yeah whenever everyone a chat I'm, I'm always free and, and up for one so thank you so much
1: We'll take you up on that, my friend. All right, stick around. Next hour on Box to Box, we're going to talk to our good mate Rob Tanner to celebrate our 300th episode. We'll talk more Europe with the boys and some special memories of the past 300 episodes on the show. That's after the news on Box to Box.
0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Canvas Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving ahead. Absolutely fantastic!
1: Welcome back to Box to Box 2nd edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly our mate from The Athletic to celebrate our 300th show, Rob Tanner, to talk all about the Premier League. More European news with Dino and Dell and we'll wrap it up with some memories of the past five or six years in stoppage time. But Willem, you got a stack more news.
3: I do, Rob, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. It's over three years now since I decided to join the Green and Gold Army myself for the World Cup in Russia, and it remains one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's already time to start thinking about going again. I can't believe it. To make sure you're there this time, head to ggatravel.com.au and sign up to the mailing list to be among the first to know when info arises about not just the World Cup, but all overseas Socceroos and Matilda's tours. We've got an international retirement to touch on first up. Ivy Lewick has called time on her Matilda's career after 34 appearances across 11 years. Luke debuted for the Matildas against New Zealand in 2010 and was part of their Asian Cup triumph later that year. Uh, After stretches out of the side across the journey, she worked her way back into calculations ahead of the Olympics and played in three of the five matches just gone in Tokyo. Michael, uh, a versatile player, uh, maybe probably one that I respect, the type of athlete that I respect the most. Not the most blessed uh, or gifted, but worked for every one of those uh, Matildas caps and got the most out of herself when called upon.
2: And she's much loved Ivy Lewick. Um, within the the group of plays in the Matildas and the W League, she's uh, hugely respected for the the volume of work she's done and uh, the, the places that she's played football uh, right around the world. It's been an incredible journey. She's a lovely, lovely lady with uh, enormous um, talent. Um, but she also got the most out of her, uh, her footballing capacity too. She, um, she had three extremely good seasons when... Melbourne City had those three championship wins in a row. Um, She was a really big part of those, playing in the number six role. But at least Kellett Knight kept her out of the starting lineup for a long time um, when they were sort of vying for that defensive midfield position. And uh, Ivy, you know, she finally got her opportunity at the Women's World Cup in France and she got on the pitch for the match against Jamaica. And uh, she also obviously got uh, uh, on the pitch at the uh, recent Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So uh, well done, Ivy. Um, um, I did my lid to you. You've, um, you've put in a great shift and you can be extremely proud of uh, your contribution to our fantastic sport and the Matildas. Uh, uh, you're a star.
1: You were a big fan of her for a long time there, Edge, when she was on the outer. You always talked her up and uh, uh, you ended up being right. She ended up getting picked and she did really well when she came back in, didn't she?
2: She certainly did, yeah. As I said, Rob, she's um, she's got the respect of everyone involved in the women's game. She's got a level head. She's, she forms fabulous relationships with uh, everybody she plays with in the W League um, and takes an interest in their careers, even if they move on to other clubs, uh, not to mention um, her leadership around uh, the, the, the Matildas uh, team. Um, so well done, Ivy, and uh, she'll be getting um,
3: thousands and thousands of uh, goodwill messages after this announcement, no doubt. Another much-loved Matilda is on the move. Haley Rasso joining Manchester City on a two-year deal this week, declaring that fighting for a position and playing Champions League were big factors behind the move. She leaves Everton after 22 appearances last season that uh, saw her score five goals and produce two assists. Michael, another one of your favourites uh, going uh, a step up. She had some scintillating uh, spells with Everton, particularly in their FA Cup run at the start of last season, but also had some quieter periods out of the side. How's she going to shape up at City?
2: Well, it's a big move, isn't it? They're, they're the big dog in uh, one of the big dogs in women's football in England. Um, they uh, set their sights on Champions League. She'll have to fight for a spot there. Uh, but I think she's um, uh, like wherever she goes, Haley. Um, she gets in the hearts of um, uh, club fans, and uh, Everton will sadly miss her. But uh, the kamikaze kid, as I call her, she only plays uh, with one. Uh, one speed and that's full pelt, um, she'll do well. She'll get into that team and um, and do very well. And, and uh, you know, she's got a bit of a challenge at the moment. Um, the way Tony Gustafsson set up the team, he's got her playing in a unfamiliar position for her in terms of her career and where she sort of got the most out of herself. So, um, yeah, this will be good for her. Um, hopefully um, it's
3: a good deal financially. But uh, Hayley Rasso, she's a star. We love her. We love her lots. Still only 26, so plenty of good football ahead of her as well. On to the gents. Tom Rogic has been in cracking form for Celtic as they've won five on the bounce, placing him firmly in the frame for a Socceroos recall. Rogic played his part in what was an amazing first half against Hearts in their League Cup match last weekend and also set up a goal in the Europa League qualifier against RZ Alkmaar with a beautiful cross. And over to Japan to finish. Yokohama F Marinos have produced their best game under Kevin Musket so far, putting five past Wita Trinita in the J-League. They're six points off top spot with 14 to play, so still plenty of time for Muskie and the Marinos to uh, put forward a serious chance at the title. And Adam Taggart and Mitch Duke both found the net for Seruto Osaka and Okayama in Japan. And some good news to finish. The Socceroos have moved to a 10-year high on the FIFA rankings. Uh, they're up to 35th after four consecutive wins in June. Some huge transfer news over the past week or perhaps still yet to play out. Harry Kane has not travelled to Portugal uh, for Tottenham's clash with Pacos de Ferreira as he continues to push for a move away from the club. Kane was absent as Spurs beat Man City in the league last week but has returned to training with their next clash against Wolves on Sunday. Spurs chairman Daniel Levy has rebuffed Man City's offer of £125 million, reportedly holding out for 160, million, which sounds a little bit greedy uh, to me, Rob. If a player who's given the service at Kane has done wants to move on for that sort of price, I'd, uh, I'd be letting him go. Uh, and although the Man City move could well be off, because as we heard earlier, uh, City now have their eyes on Robert Lewandowski.
1: I know. Isn't it amazing how quickly uh, uh, the story can change? I mean, Jack Grealish uh, had the, the record signing. Uh, uh, not the kind of debut he would have expected, uh, and Harry Kane would have just done... Uh, so well had he been uh, in the the uh, Manchester City lighting up lineup uh, with the kind of service that he that he would have gotten, it didn't happen. City lost. Um this club won with him on the sidelines, so yeah, it's just an amazing uh, uh, turn of events that uh, this Lewandowski uh, story is, is uh, thrown into the mix because obviously there's no way in the world that they're going to sign both, and, and Harry might just have to stay.
3: Over to Spain, Barcelona president Juan Laporta has accused his predecessor Josep Bartomeu of leaving a terrible inheritance, with it revealed the club is 1.35 billion euros in debt. Laporta admitted the club's wage bill represents 103% of their total income, significantly up on other La Liga clubs, and that the re-signing of Lionel Messi would have seen that balloon to 110%. The club have requested an €80 million loan to kickstart their finances, and were able this week to sign three free agents after Gerard Piquet agreed to a pay cut. There was a bit of back and forth between the two presidents, a bit of a a slanging match. Not particularly relevant, though, Rob. What is relevant is that for the first time, we've got a little bit of clarity around the numbers. For a long time, it's been quite murky. Oh, Barca are in trouble. There's a lot of debt. But at least this week, they've come out and have been up front around uh, a few of the figures. Yeah, but the
1: figures just keep on doubling, don't they? And uh, and so, w- what do you believe? Uh, you know, the the way that, that Barcelona. Uh are, uh, are going financially you've got to, to question whether they're a going concern, uh, obviously La Liga stepped in and uh, ensured that they, they didn't sign uh, Messi to uh, an unsustainable contract but uh, yeah look it's it's just a shocking set of news and uh, and you've just got to wonder how La Liga is going to uh, to be able to provide the kind of finances that Barcelona need to, to, to come back from where they are in the, the short to medium term with Messi not playing in the competition, what about you Edge? What do you think?
2: Brand finance have come out with some interesting numbers around um, the cost impact to Barcelona with Messi's departure. They're saying that uh, their brand will be uh, decreased, uh, the brand value decreased by about 11% or 137 million euros. Messi's shirt sales alone generated Barca 200 million euros in revenue, of which they um, generated royalties of 15%. Um, These 30-plus seasonal goals need to be replaced. Uh, they, those goals, as we know, drove titles, match day audiences. Um, you know, Barcelona estimates, um, brand finance estimates that Barca, um, they might lose as much as 17 million euros in gate revenue. Um, not to mention his huge personal following estimated at 240 million people who are effectively just going to go across to PSG. PSG grew their Instagram followers by 6.8 million people in the first 12 hours after Messi's uh, announcement of being signed. So um, Barca have... um, more problems than their debt. They've got to replace the impact of Leo Messi in the club, which, in my view, is irreplaceable.
3: Carly Lloyd, she has announced that she's going to play the remainder of the National Women's Soccer League season and four upcoming internationals before retiring. She debuted for the US as a 22-year-old in 2005. She's played 312 games, scoring 128 goals as she's collected two World Cup winners' medals and two Olympic gold medals. Her career started way back in 1999 with the Central Jersey Splash. She also picked up the FA Cup, with Manchester City along the way. So congratulations to a Titan of the uh, the women's game. All the best for the uh, rest of her career and into retirement. Willem her three best games, believe it or not, 2008,
2: uh, she scored the winner uh, in the um, uh, USA 1 Brazil nil gold medal game at the Olympics in 2012. She scored a double, uh, in the gold medal game in the Olympics 2-1 over Japan and in 2015 China had the USA pinned uh, in a World Cup quarterfinal and she scored uh, a late uh, blistering header to uh, get uh, the USA over China and they went on to win that tournament so I think they're her three best games she was and uh, still is as a result of um, her performance against Australia in the bronze medal playoff uh, she's pretty good at 39 years of age we take her
1: <laughs> yeah, we would. Well, uh, and Carly Lord definitely deserved the uh, the rap that she got by extending our news just a, a little bit. All right, guys, um, sit tight. We're going to talk to our good mate. We have talked to him so many times since this show started way back uh, when he was with the Leicester Mercury, when the Foxes were doing the unthinkable and five thousand to one. He wrote the book. Rob Tanner from the Athletic. We're going to talk Premier League next on Box to
0: Box. Box to Box. Can you believe- for chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the kings of storage moving and more
1: This could be the most crucial. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News, Talk, Sport. Well, it wouldn't be our three hundredth episode if we didn't talk to our favourite guest. And yes, we've had a lot of favourite guests over the journey, but there is no more favourite than Rob Tanner. We met him when he was with the Leicester Mercury, and he's stuck with us from the time that the mighty Foxes broke out. He wrote that book, Five Thousand to One. He's with the Athletic now, and he's introduced us to so many people over the journey. None of them would be on this show without Rob Tanner. How are you, Rob?
8: Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Mate, we're super well, Rob. Uh, before I hand it over to the boys to ask a couple of questions, um, we did talk to Chris Williams from the Gagan Press uh, Bundesliga podcast. And, uh, you know, we tribute uh, to, to Maradona last year when he passed. And uh, we talk about all the big names on this show. But uh, Gerd Muller, uh, what an amazing player. How would you describe his impact on English football, given that he uh, played with the mighty German side and there were plenty of heartbreaks uh, at the hands of that side for England?
8: Well, yeah, most notably the uh, seventy World Cup in Mexico when uh, he was the focal point of their magnificent comeback to knock out the the, the world champions, uh, England. So, um, yeah, but obviously gerdin Muller, a, a fantastic um, poacher, goal poacher. You know, he, he was come alive in the penalty box and so difficult to contain. He just had that natural instinct. You can't coach it. You know, that that instinct just to to be in the right place at the right time to score some so many goals. And I don't think his stats will ever be matched again in the game.
9: Rob, well, Premier League has started again. Uh, nice to be back after after the short break. It was a fantastic first weekend, wasn't it? I think the average number of goals was three to four per game. Uh, the Premier League really just exploded back to life, didn't it?
8: absolutely and with fans back as well which was so amazing and i i mean I, I think my boss is getting sick to death of people saying isn't it great to have fans back and he even threatened me with the sack if i if i even wrote about having, how great it was to have fans back but it truly is i mean to see them see them there in numbers and getting behind i think that's that's one of the factors in so many goals because uh, the teams have just played with a bit of a freedom in the first week which normally is cage in the opening few weeks of the season but We've just seen sides go for it, and uh, I mean, unfortunately, I was at a game where there was only one goal, but it, what a goal it was from Jamie Vardy! But uh, that, it was a fantastic opening weekend.
9: Yeah, the uh, that, that that was a good goal. You're right. And the other game that was quite tight was uh, Tottenham Hotspur one Manchester City nil. Tottenham sort of turning the tables a bit. No one expected much from them, and City, um, you know, for defending champions, not not a great start. I've got to ask about Harry Kane, of course. Does, does this just do you think increased cities need to go and buy that striker, Rob?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've got a terrible record at Tottenham anyway, Man City. I mean, they never seem to do anything there. And it's first game for Nuno's, and you can see he set out his stall how Spurs are going to play under him. It's going to be quite defensive. They're going to sit back like Wolves did and try and, and counter attack, and they did that effectively. Uh, against Manchester City but you're right Manchester City are crying out for a centre forward I know Pep sometimes doesn't play with one but they need a focal point to that attack otherwise it just looks a little bit blunt Um, yeah it's going to be interesting what's going to happen over the last couple of weeks of the transfer window because there's a few deals that could get done and that one is the one everybody's looking at Harry he's not travelled with the the Spurs squad for their uh, Europa League game tonight either so um, claiming he's not ready for match action so this is going to go down to the wire. I, I, don't, I think Spurs will stand strong and they'll want 150 million for him at least. And by spending 100 million on Jack Grealish, they've sort of put, set a rod for their own backman city because Spurs will quite rightly say, well, you've spent 100 million pounds on a player who's just only broken into the England team. This is the England captain we're talking about and the Premier League top goalscorer for a number of seasons. So they're, they're going to hold out for their valuation.
9: You mentioned uh, some transfer activity and one place where transfers c- could be happening is Arsenal. Uh, Martin Odegaard looks on the verge of coming back after his loan spell on a permanent deal and uh, Aaron and Ramsdale the goalkeeper left out of the Sheffield United squad. Do you think, you know, given Arsenal's terrible uh, start against Brentford, do you think a, a flashy uh, sort of midfielder and a goalkeeper is what Arsenal need
8: right now? they'd probably need more than that. They'd probably need more than that as well. I mean, it was um, a terrible start and you just have to question in what direction Arsenal are going in under Arteta. And a lot of their um, their transfer policy, it always seems to be reactionary. It always seems to be a bit of a panic about it. I mean, Odegaard they've had uh, previously on loan, so they know a bit about him. But um, you know, but besides that, I mean, they were linked heavily linked with James Madison, but they never came in for him. It was um, a lot of speculation and rumour and, and that's, you can guess where that might have come from, but uh, they don't seem to have a clear philosophy like Leicester do in the transfer market.
1: This is Box to Box we're talking to Rob Tanner, we're talking Premier League Rob Tanner from The Athletic on Box to Box.
2: Uh, Rob, you obviously at uh, the Leicester game and uh, you mentioned it before, Jamie Vardy's goal was, uh, was exquisite the technical capacity for him to do that was amazing. And uh, I just wanted to sort of um, delve into it a little bit. There's been a lot said about the fact that he really switches off in the off season um, while, um, you know, he only scored four goals in the second half of Leicester's 2021 Premier League campaign. And that did come in very condensed uh, fixturing, you know, games every three or four days, um, which I don't think suit him. But, but um there's reports that he sat on the couch, had a few beers, played with these five kids. Yes, for our <laughs> listeners out there, he's got five kids. Um, is that the sort of um, guy he is? And he looks fresh. He ran his uh, backside off uh, the, the full the full game and, and, and he was the difference in getting a win. So um, I think Vardy can take Leicester a long way this year again, even at 34 years of age. I just want you to comment on all of that for us.
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the key for Jamie is, is rest. I mean, last season, he was the focal point in the attack. And you could see in the second half of the season, especially after he had that groin issue, um, that he was fading, he was struggling for the, the same energetic performances. And Clecci Nacho stepped up and then broke his run of being the club's top goal scorer at the end of the season. Um, people are looking at the, the arrival of Patton Dacker, who is going to be his successor. He plays in a similar way, plays on the shoulder of the last man, likes to, to run in behind, got fantastic pace. But instead of being the beginning of the end for Jamie Vardy, I think Dacca's arrival will give longevity to his Leicester City career because now it's not all about Jamie. The focal point isn't all on him. He doesn't have to go out and play two games a week every week because his body can't deal with that. He needs the rest. He needs a couple of beers and a a sit-down on the couch. Um, But Daka is going to come in and and, and give him that opportunity to get that rest so he can remain fresh and firing all season long. Um, It's going to be so important for him. And he's got two years left on his contract. I mean, I think there's 10 players in total. They've got two years left on their contract. So they'll be trying to sort that out. And as I'm speaking to you now, they've just announced a new deal for Harvey Barnes for four years. That's the future. The immediate future, though, Jamie Vardy is going to be still so important to the club, not just with his performances, his natural goal-scoring instinct. We just talked about Gerdie Muller and that finish, getting across Connor Cody to get a little touch on into the far corner. That is going to be so crucial again this season for them. Certainly is. What about
2: Tottenham? Nuno um, Santos' first Premier League f- fixture in charge. He rolled out a four-three-three setup. But Deli Ali, who we've you know we see as a, a sort of an out-and-out attacker, he he seemed to love a new role. He was extremely defensive. He didn't get in the box very often, but he uh, his defensive work it, it really stood out to me. I, I checked after the game. He had twelve tackles. That's the most he's had in a Spurs shirt. Um, his box-to-box running was elite. Um, is this um, could Could Nuno Santo, um, um, could he re-engage and redefine the Dalli that we've uh, been watching and uh, is this a rebirth of him potentially?
8: Well time will tell with that, I mean obviously he didn't get on with Jose Mourinho and was was basically left out in the cold and his career certainly stalled, I mean he was an England regular and then uh, he he fell out in, in a massive way with Mourinho um, so whenever a new manager comes in, it's a chance for a fresh start for players, and it looks like one for Delhi. I, I, I agree with you. He, he looked more like a, a number eight, box to box than a number ten. Um, he is. Uh, uh, that was the area of his game that needed refining was the defensive side of it because you need that as well at the top level. You, you know, you can't just be the guy that causes a lot of damage and drifts into goal scoring positions. You, you need to be able to work backwards as well. Uh, all the best players, all the top players can do that. So he needed to add that to his game and and he's got a coach that now that will work with him on that. I mean, I'm not saying Mourinho isn't a defensive coach because that was labeled at him as well, but it looks like Nuno's got belief in him from the outset and he's going to give him that opportunity.
1: Hey, Rob, I noticed the guys, um, both Arsenal fans that they are, have, uh, have avoided the obvious return to power of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. I know uh, Norwich City might not have been the powerhouse, but um, with Virgil van Dijk back up at the back, um, they are right up in, in this uh, this competition, right up to their neck. Uh, what's your assessment of them? Do you think that they can put uh, last season's disappointment behind them and, uh, and challenge for the title?
8: Well, they certainly have uh the players to do that uh, whether they've got the, the strength in depth i mean all their rivals have been spending huge amounts of money this summer i mean we talk about the impact of the pandemic but these the top size the top clubs have, have dug deep uh, i mean we just talked about man city spending with chelsea as well lukaku how much they've spent on that that particular deal liverpool uh well the, the noise from jurgen klopp is that they haven't got that sort of money to compete but they have got the players it's if they got uh, keep people fit this season Having fans back in Anfield would be huge as well. Um, if they can do those, both those factors can really boost them, and I can see them challenging this season. I wouldn't. I mean, my favourites are still Man City, even though you know obviously they looked off it the, fir- the first week. But um, I think they'll be up there as well with, with Man City challenging with Chelsea. That, those three with the one, the three that I can see really going close to the title this season. And we couldn't let you go, Rob, without uh, mentioning Brentford. What an amazing start that was. And I
1: asked this, um, you know, with no... I ask this with no desire to upset the boys even more but Arsenal were absolutely ordinary uh, as you've already said uh, but Brentford under Thomas Frank, um, are they going to actually do something this season? I'm not saying that they're going to uh, challenge for the title but uh, but will they uh, be a, a, a troublesome side throughout the season for for uh, various uh, clubs that
8: uh, come to the community stadium? Absolutely, it's a great atmosphere that place as well when you go down there I mean it's a real community club um, they're galvanised obviously everybody's fired up for this season uh, being back in the Premier League well being in the Premier League but being back in the top flight of English football it's been a long long time um, that will carry them so far and they'll ride that wave for the start of the season then it gets into that tricky period around Christmas then we'll see whether they've genuinely got enough um, to survive it's going to be tough for any side coming up um, I mean we saw Sheffield United first season up they had a great season second season terrible and they're back in the Championship and struggling and getting whacked by West Bromwich Albion, on the, mm-hmm. you know, that, as they did last night. So, you know, they, they can ride that so far, but then they've got to kick on and they've got to have a plan. And they've got to strengthen in the January transfer window as well. So we'll see. But it's great to see a club like Brentford up there and the fans loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I loved watching it, especially um, after backing them at 4-1. to That always helps. Rob? <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I know they're sitting there. Michael's listening to this, and we do communicate with each other on a little WhatsApp chat as we're, we're talking and, and doing the show remote. And he's just got nothing because he follows Arsenal, and uh, uh, you follow uh, the mighty foxes on the beat when you're not watching the Blue Noses. And um, Well, but
2: Robin, Rob Tanner and say. I share a great love for the Blue Noses. So yes. you, don't be, you don't want to be taking me on Rob Gilbert because I Rob know, Tanner's in my corner, you. brother.
1: Yeah, I, I expect that, but I, <laughs> I also notice that you've jumped off the bandwagon, and, and poor old Derek's probably just sitting there rolling his eyes, thinking, "I got nothing."
8: <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, isn't yet, it, for know. Arsenal? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. It's devastating, mate. Hey, Rob. Um, thanks for everything, mate. We've always been grateful for your time um, over all of the years. We hope uh, there are plenty more opportunities to talk to you in the future. But um, but thanks for for joining us on our uh, on our 300th milestone match uh, to to look at uh, what hopefully is going to be a ripping season with fans back in. Just don't tell your editor that we said that. Yeah,
8: congratulations um, as well on a great milestone. Great thank show. You, Rob.
1: Thanks, mate. Rob Tanner from The Athletic. All right, stick around. We're going to continue to talk Europe. Dino's going to jump on the line. There's lots more to discuss after the break. Box to Box. Can you
0: believe the chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the kings of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal yes this is box to
1: box on nine radio nts news talk sport always love talking to our mate rob tanner before the break but we never get through everything that's going on in the premier league in europe and we've got a stack more to go Derek, why don't you sort of guide us around the park mate
9: it was obviously a great weekend back. Loads of goals, loads of action, barely a dull moment across those games. Um, Manchester United 5, Leeds United 1. Uh, United, Ramp and, and Paul Pogba assisting four of those goals. Yeah. How, impressed, how impressed were you with United?
6: <clears throat> yeah, Manchester United looked really good. I mean, especially, I think, when they went 1-0 up and then obviously they got a goal back. And uh, you're thinking, Oh here, here we go but then all of a sudden after that it was just unbelievable football. And uh Man United looked really, really good. Um and we know, always know like with Leeds they're quite you know, they're quite decent up front but defending wise, you know, um I think there's gonna be a lot, lot to be looked at. But uh, but I think out, outstanding performance considering the first game of the season and You could pick loads of players, not just Pomba and that. Um, There were just so so many good performances.
9: Yeah, another good performance was Chelsea's 3-0 home win against Crystal Palace. Uh, Patrick Vieira, I think, will be disappointed with his first outing in the Premier League. But it was the ideal start for Premier League perspective uh, champions Chelsea and a a dream goal for a, a young academy prospect, Chalabar.
6: Yeah, look, I think he's been there as a kid from the start. So it, look, And it was some strike, a super strike, about 25, 30 yards out. It's great strike. So, yeah, look, he looks one definitely for the future.
9: Uh, looking around some of the other games, as we said, they were all entertaining. I mean, plenty of goal action at Newcastle. Uh a great start yeah. for Newcastle, but of course, West Ham went on and won 4-2. Uh, Steve Bruce isn't going to have long, is he? The fans are back now. It's not entirely yeah. his fault because, apart from Joe Willock from Arsenal, the investment in the squad has been pretty limited. Do you foresee a pretty rough uh, season ahead for Newcastle?
6: Yeah, I do. I mean, look, I thought Newcastle were good value in the first half, um, then, obviously, it just all went away from them. But West Ham, are, I think, you know, they've just ca- carried on from what happened last season. And they look really, really good. You know, they had a lot of threats from all over the park. And they defend. I thought they defended well. I thought, But I thought Newcastle were quite good value for, for quite long periods of the time. But uh, I think their defending is always going to be uh, the Achilles heel.
9: I tell you what, great result for Watford, 3-2 win over Aston Villa. And we spoke on the show last week about Villa being a dark horse for Europe this season, given their business. But uh, it was the first time in a while that two teams won on the opening day of the season that had been promoted, a great Win uh, there for Watford and Rafa, despite a, a terrible kind of start to his life at Everton, uh, getting the good done against Everton uh, against Southampton. That was a good result, Dino.
6: Yeah, look, he needed that, and that, and that that will settle, I think, a lot of people down. You know, you, you, the first game of the season, if you can get a win. Uh, obviously, that's vital. Uh, just to like, just put, you know, you got three points on the board, and you can you can work on from that. But the one, the one thing that's really stuck me, stuck me: there was no draws, not one draw in the whole of the of all the games in the Premier
9: League. No, there wasn't. And again, I th- I, th- I just think that. Impetus of teams coming back in front of, of fans in stadiums. Yeah. I, think, I think there was a lot to play for, and I don't think at the early time of the season is not the time to be thinking about draws. So everyone was um, <clears throat> really going forward with uh, with their football. Um, we've only not mentioned one, and I, we should mention it: Burnley won, <laughs> Brighton and Hove Albion two. Poor old Burnley once again being left off my list, but good stuff from Brighton. Uh, really nice start to the season for them. Looking yeah, ahead. Looking ahead to the, uh, the, the the games this weekend now, our best of the week. Um, we don't have a wagering partner, but if anyone in that industry wants to sponsor us, then please get in touch with us at Box to mm-hmm. Box. But best of the week uh, last week was Arsenal losing uh, uh, to Brentford. Better of the week this week is definitely if he plays Lukaku scoring against Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea. Uh, it's just got um, that uh, goal for him written all over it, I think, Dean. Yeah, I
6: do. Yeah, look, Arsenal... Um poor results in the first game obviously at Brentford uh, but uh, Chelsea off to a start and then you know then all of a sudden you're adding him to the starting lineup uh, I think it could be a, a, a very interesting day uh,
9: for Arsenal. Just looking at that Arsenal defence um, Ben White finding his feet and Marie I'm, I'm not sure about him so I think Lukaku if he gets a chance to run at that defence he will be licking his lips um I quite like the look of West Ham versus Leicester City as well, Um, Dino. What do you think of that game?
6: Yeah, look, I think that's got, again, uh, Leicester off to a good start. Uh, West Ham, a good start. Uh, The only issue you might have, just might have, is that West Ham have obviously done quite well uh, when we haven't had crowds. Um, But obviously, you know, we know what West Ham and the stadium can get a bit raucous if it's not going their way. So I think... I think it's going to be a really interesting game who comes out. I most probably think there might be a draw there, but uh, who knows? If I thought West Ham were really good value uh, last weekend.
9: Just Liverpool will play Burnley at home amongst the title Uh, contenders. United are away at Southampton. Spurs, who beat City, are away at Wolves. And Manchester City have a slightly uh, easier uh, time of it, we think, at home against Norwich. So let's see. Let's go to the championship quickly, Dino. Well, go on then. Tell us about Derby. They're uh, on four points now and uh, defying all the odds. And, you know, your your friends at Forest are looking at all sorts of problems after their loss to Blackburn.
6: Well, they are. They've had they've had three defeats. So, I mean, that's, you know, and I mean, John, Johnny B was on to me very early in uh, round one and partly round two. And Derby, obviously, the week before had thrown away a 1-0 lead and then lost in, you know, injury time. So, um, I think, it's, you know, I think it's a decent start. But, look, I still think there's a, a lot of work to do there. And uh, and for me, most probably the, the highlight for me out of the championship is... Uh, Stoke City, how they've started! They look absolutely unbelievable at the moment.
9: Of course, with one of Australia's finest in uh, in the centre of defence, there as well. So we will yeah. we will follow uh, Stoke City this season. the The top already looking like it has a bit of a familiar feel to it. West it Brom does. top after they battered, let's say, Sheffield United 4-0 at the Hawthorne, Sheffield United already in the relegation zone. So we did say on this show we were wondering whether uh, what the start would be like for Sheffield United and whether they'd struggle. Fulham uh, are there and also a bunch of other teams on seven points, including QPR, who have started really brightly, Bournemouth, Stoke, as you said, and Blackburn Rovers, of course. So uh, interesting times, as always, in the Championship, Dino. Just moving on to Europe as we start wrapping up this uh, this tight Euro um, segment. A few of the leagues are underway. The Spanish clubs uh, are underway, and, and the big three all got got uh, wins, including Barcelona with their first win post Messi over Sociedad. Their president uh, conceding that the team are in one point three five billion euros of debt describing the situation as quote very worrying i don't think he's yeah, of uh, underestimating that there um and, and of course in germany that's opened up to dortmund obviously lost uh, to uh uh buying in the super cup but made an impressive start um with uh, our friend Harlan scoring his hundredth league goal for them so um look all happening in in europe rob and uh uh, yeah, I just wanted to pull out Galatasaray's mark uh, uh, red carded for headbutting and punching his own teammates. He uh, ran half the pitch to do it uh, and got sent to the stand. So, uh, worrying for Galatasaray.
1: <laughs> we don't talk about the Turkish top flight very often on <laughs> the show. Um, and that, that was a good little uh, introduction. <laughs> I want to it's interrupt. Crazy. I have
2: been to see uh, a Federbace Galatasaray uh, match, uh, and I've never been more scared in my life.
1: <laughs> uh, right. Well done, boys! Nice little tight uh, segment there with Dino and Dell uh, Just having a fireside chat uh, about football. All right, stick around. We're going to have a, uh, a reflective stoppage time after the break. We're going to think of some of our favourite memories, our funny memories, and maybe just some observations and comments. Stick around for that
0: next. On box to box, box to box. Can you believe- The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most
1: crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. The fourth official is Signals. There are eight minutes left in our 300th episode. And there wouldn't have been even one episode if it hadn't been for our wonderful sponsors. So before I talk to the boys about their favourite memories, I want to talk to you about Storage King, the most award-winning successful storage company in this country yes that is right they have been nominated by can star blue the most satisfied customer award winner rated five stars for value for money safety and security quality of storage and convenience they are storage king the great michael tate and david Scanlon started the business back in 1997 and they are going stronger than ever today they are the kings of storage moving and we'll go to storageking.com.au to find your nearest store and give you back some space all right, guys. Well, we need a little bit of space to um, to talk about our favourite memories. Uh, Dina, I'm going to start off with you. I mean, there's one favourite <laughs> memory that every time we have a milestone show that we we always kick this <clears> off, <throat> and uh, and this one's about our friend Mark Van Aken, who was with us for probably the first hundred or so episodes. But uh, it uh, it involves his incredible capacity to mimic voices.
6: He just had it down pat, and half the time, all you can hear me is laughing.
1: Which was, was your favourite voice? Was was there one in particular? Um, I mean I, I know that um that uh that his good sitting always had us in, in Yeah, States. well he
6: was good at wasn't well, he was very good at that. Uh, with that with that Dutch heritage. A bit as Dutch well, himself. So, yeah yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. So a bit of Dutch heritage. So we'll give him that one. But you know I'm I can't really choose a favorite, but Goose was always good because it was almost bang on, you
1: know. Yeah, and he just went from one to the next, and 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 Dino, you know, I'll flip over to Edge, um, and he might sort of comment on that one because Edge was the uh, the maestro interviewer, and I was taking a break and I was listening to the show in a car park up in <laughs> Sydney at Eastlands and just weeping from laughing, and and Edge was just doing it so well to hold it together to ask the questions of all of the various guests. <laughs>
2: Well, I remember Mark Van Aken um, had worked for me for probably uh, 15 or 16 years prior to that. So there'd been plenty of times when Mark and I in our day jobs would be working together or travelling or doing something and we would just be shooting the breeze and that would be a regular conversation that I'd have with him because his impersonations were brilliant. Every time I needed to be entertained or have a bit of a laugh, I'd... I'd, uh, I'd say Harry Kuehl or, or Huss um or uh, Ange Postacoglu. I, I loved his Ange Postacoglu. He was very good at that. Um, and because he knew Ange so well, he, he had the mannerisms and the grumpiness down pat. So, um, yeah, look, it was um, it was a lot of fun. And, um, and um, we, we, we must try really hard to try and recover that uh, interview because it is uh, the all-time greatest uh, um, interview that uh, we've done, isn't it, Dino? Fantastic. But, no, no, but it Who could... But Dino, uh, you may not remember this, Well, you might, but I know Rob does because he would remind me of this at least three or four times a week.
1: Yeah, at And least. that is yeah. the <laughs>
2: night that I endeared myself to Yosef Gombo, made he one of my closest and dearest oh, friends. Yeah. Well, what, what was
1: the thing? You, you, you he, There had been some controversy, and you asked him a question that uh, he wasn't happy with.
2: Well, it was all <laughs> to do with um, he, he shot through from... Uh, Adelaide to join the City Group in New York, and that didn't work out, and he, and, and he came back, and um, there was a, a bit of a sleigh match behind the scenes. the the <laughs> previous owner of Adelaide United, Greg Griffin, who's no shrinking violet, he's a, he calls a, a spade a shovel. Um, he'd been on the on the front foot within the football network, sort of potting gombas. So I I'd, I'd um I'd sort of just asked him about how his relationship with Greg Griffin was, and. Um, and my recollection is rob um, <laughs> he didn't enjoy that question no he didn't and uh, and i was the
1: peacemaker as always um oh, as think always. there's going to be yeah, a controversial question yes yeah, sure. it was question. a yes.
2: perfectly as- legitimate question i asked him
1: no, I don't. I don't know that it was. Um, so what's happened is he's hung up in the middle of a pre-record. Uh, it had been organised by the Adelaide uh, media manager. So we uh, we get well, off. and in fact, and he was
2: working for the Socceroos at the time. So if you if you can remember, I think it was Ben O'Neill who did some. Yes, very quick work of course it was. Scenes.
1: And so I'm ringing up Ben, saying Ben, listen, mate, we're halfway through the interview. I promise you we're not going to refer to it again. Let's just get it back on. We'll edit the question out. We'll pretend it never happened, and we'll just get Joseph on, and we'll just be all friends again. And he goes, mate, you promised me you won't do it. He said, I won't never live this down. And so we got him back on, and uh, you could just tell that there was this sort of uh, static electricity in the air, but we did the right thing by him, and, uh, and Ed, uh, as tempted as he was, um, I was sitting on the edge of a seat to see whether he'd ask the question again. Um, you know, so, um, uh, hang on, before we go, I we t- haven't... And we Can haven't just, got all the time in the world. I've got to ask No, no
2: no, 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 I hey. want to ask, um, um, I'll bring Willem in. Willem, do, um, do you remember when Rob called Trent Sainsbury, turned Sainsbury um, about eight times in an interview?
3: No, I don't. I think that was part of the, uh, the Mark era as well prior to me. I think it might well, have been so, It's
1: typical of Edge to, to just exaggerate a little bit. So what had happened Mark was Mark was uh, was a terrible typer and um, and it, we were talking about Swiss football teams and, you know, grasshopper, et cetera. And he'd written, in, out of context, Turn Sainsbury, and, and I've just read it uh, off the piece of paper only to realise myself on the one and only occasion I did it as opposed to the eight Edge. No, matches, you did it at least three what times. I, I, what on. I'd done, so... it's uh, your time, yeah. to be honest. I, uh, with I, the, well, OK, well, that, that counts that as my, this, Rob. That that counts as my favourite memory. Uh, Before we get to Derek, Willem, what's yours?
3: I don't so much have a favourite moment, Rob, but as we get to 300, I just thought I'd sort of reflect on the past year in particular. I think I came on board around episode 140, first in a a writing capacity behind the scenes and then jumped on air. And just thinking back to how cushy those first 60 episodes were in at Media House there at 3RW, my first sort of (laughs) foray into the sports media world, thinking, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. Uh, And then over the past 100 episodes, just how... uh, Well, it's been a real crash course in sort of journalistic hustling, if you like. We've been uh, the box-to-box wanderers. I remember we did episode 200 from Real Image Solutions, was it, Rob, your friends there? Yes, yeah, yeah. We've done shows at home, brand music, Damo's house, Damo's second house. (laughs) We're back at home for episode 300. Mm. uh it's been uh, it's been a good last 100 episodes yeah box to box brought to you by COVID 19
1: <laughs> it's uh it's been amazing and uh and to be fair willem as the cub reporter the jimmy olsen of box to box you've done incredibly well come on a long long way and crafted your career it was always going to happen anyway but uh it's been fun watching you, you grow and develop and, uh, and 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 grow your confidence a- along the way mate well done and uh, well, i guess you're not the last arrival on deck it was uh, uh derek Dyson, our uh, our former uh, IT journalist turned pundit, who uh, came in to visit the studio one day, and I just turned around and asked him a question. Is, is that your favourite memory, Derek?
9: Yes, I remember when you had winked me into joining this show, Rob. It was a total setup on your on your side, and I just uh, had to think on my feet there, my first time behind the mic and uh, in a radio studio. So thank, thanks for that. And uh, it wasn't long that it was episode two hundred, and I remember. Asking you and Edge, you know the origins of the show, and I thought that, I thought that was good content. The way you you guys devised it over over a beer or something like that, and uh, it's it's amazing that it's come to 300, uh, 300 and hopefully uh, a lot more. But from from my point of view, for me, it's um, being on this show has allowed me to do something that I didn't think I would ever do, despite working in the media, which is chatting to some people who. I have extremely high regard for, and I'm grateful to all of you who go out of your way to arrange these, whether it's uh, Max, Max Rushton, who, of course, is my all-time hero on the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, Henry Winter, of course, from the Times, uh, Martin Tyler, of course, the voice of football and my childhood as a fan. and Yeah, so th- those, for me, have been the, the best the best moments for me. I love it when the team... Kind of gets together for a breaking story when you you guys have done your your meeting on Monday and then have to chuck the whole agenda out the window and I remember obviously the great Diego Maradona dying that week and all the hustling as uh as William said to try and put together that show and I thought that was it's certainly the the best show i've been involved in of my hundred just in terms of the guests and the pure quality of that output but of course, my favorite stuff of course gents is uh getting to know you all but uh getting to know you all from a distance these days. I don't recall the last time I was stood in a room with you, so hopefully we can change that
2: soon. So Rob, uh, can I just... Um, um, I was just going to say, say before
1: you do, Edge, because yeah. look, anyone who listens to this show knows that Edge is uh, a metier is to interrupt. I was just about to say, beautifully well said. So you can interrupt now, Michael. What were you going to say?
2: Well, I just wanted to... Um, um, I'm, I'm quite surprised that Willem didn't mention that the, his highlight of the program was our Monday... Afternoon at four thirty, our uh, our phone hookup where we sort of do the production because, uh, as as it goes, the thirty minutes we spend on the phone normally it's um, uh, fifteen minute round about the pandemic. Uh, We normally sort of bring in some international relations. We've had a bit of a discussion about Afghanistan this week, and then we (laughs) spend two or three minutes on what's going to be on the show. So I'm surprised you didn't uh, bring up that, Willem, because I know you sit on the end of the phone while Rob and I just sort of talk about the latest issues in world uh, news, and uh, we eventually get on to uh, uh, what are we going to do on the show?
3: As proud as I am of the show we put out each and every week, I think if we podcasted the uh, Monday afternoon 4 o'clock chat, our Mm -hmm. uh, ratings... We'll Go through the roof. <laughs> it'll be
1: unplugged. <laughs> well, guys, you know what's going to go through the roof because we're going to run out of time. It'll be uh, it'll be the uh, the sponsorship dollars that we generate for this show from our friends at Chemist Warehouse and Storage King because we'll be going into a third hour. So I'm going to have to wrap it up. Uh, Damien Tardio, thank you uh, to uh, to you for your efforts and uh, and to, to other people who've worked on the show in the past. Nigel Slater, Pat Panetta have worked us for, for 300 episodes. We we, uh, we appreciate uh, all the efforts that they put in. So uh, so Edge, Derek, Willem, Dino. Damo, excellent work. Um, Let's get together another time next week and go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.